dynamic blessings. Welcome to another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvy Daniel Thompson, aka Mr. You Can Too. My dear friend, Steve Lane, is in the building today. You probably already know the name if you've been listening to the show. This is probably Steve's third or fourth time appearing on the podcast. And every time we get together, it is a powerful conversation. In today's episode, we dive into different ideas on how we can be bettering ourselves. We talk about how important it is to focus on the process of being better versus the outcome. We talk about the conundrum of contentment versus complacency, the importance of having our own values, defining those values and letting those guide us in life. And we take an overall look at where we perceive culture to be right now where the struggles are for both men and women, and ultimately how we all can improve day to day to make ourselves better and ultimately to make this world a better place. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please share it with your family, friends, and loved ones. And it would mean the world to me if you leave a five-star rating and a review of the show. Also, if you are a busy professional and you're having trouble fitting better health into your busy schedule, I have the solution for you. It is the Holistic Health Handbook for Busy Professionals. You can get that at MrYouCan2.com backslash holistic-health-handbook. Enjoy the episode, and I'll see you on the other side. You can too. Ladies and gentlemen, dynamic blessings. Appreciate you tapping in again with your boy, Mr. You Can Too. I have a extremely amazing and familiar guest on the show. I got my brother from another mother, a person whose path has been such a joy to watch from the sidelines. I'm joined by none other by coach and can't wait to talk about this podcast host, Mr. Steve Lane. How are you, brother? brother? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for that grandiose introduction. I appreciate it. And, uh, being a return guest on the show either means you're a glutton for punishment or we've actually got some good takes to be had here. So I'm excited to be back with you, mate. No, appreciate it. Glad to have you here. And, you know, last time we talked, I think we were speaking more on just different stuff that was going on in the state of the world as in regards to COVID and vaccines and mandates and all types of things. And, you know, I thought that our conversation was such a steadying conversation in really focusing on what we can control and really being of service to ourselves and those closest to us. And first thing I want to do to start out is, Steve, let the people know what you've been up to, man. You've been making some huge shifts and growth these last, we'll call it a year and a half since we spoke on the podcast. What's been up? So it's it's still been centered around this overarching why of empowering people to, you know, get as healthy as they can, take personal responsibility in whichever way that they can, and ultimately live a life by design and not by default. And, you know, that's always been kind of my MO and I've done that through one-on-one coaching, which I'm still doing, but to have these opportunities open up, like to reach a larger audience and you know, the power of podcasting, this is facilitating these great conversations with great interest in humans and 
people generally like this content, this long form, deep topics and dives to go all over the map. So I recently collaborated with Heart and Soil, which is a supplement company out of Austin, Texas, who desic desiccate organs. So yep. talk a lot about the you know nutrient density in organ meats, which is you know nature's multivitamin is a, is a very fitting name for them, I feel, because they've got so much nutrition in a very small package, but in a very bioavailable way. And yep. something that they're trying to do is bring this. They, they want to normalize like organs as multivitamins and basically get, you know, your centrum and all of that stuff off the shelves because it's, it's, a, it's useless. It's, a, it's an expensive piss for people and right. get nature's superfoods on the shelves. And the way in which they see having more and more impact is spreading their voice. So, you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe six months ago, I got a message from them and was like, hey, there's a collaboration to be had here. One thing led to another. And that launched, you know, we launched it uh, about a month ago now. We've got three episodes live. By the time this goes out, there'll probably be a fourth. And so we're still coaching, we're still empowering, we're still helping people get healthy and helping coaches to create their own ripples and their own vortexes of change. And also dabbling in this old uh, podcasting space now, which has been a lot of fun. And I like to treat every day as a school day and keep learning. So there's a lot to be learning here and lots of, uh, lots of good conversations to be had. And uh, yeah, I just love doing this, man. Love chatting with good, like-minded individuals and uh, challenging dogma, challenging beliefs of ours collectively and whatever else it is. So like I said, pleasure to be back on the show. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to check that out, it's called Radical Health Radio and it's available where all podcasts are podcasting. I love it. I love it. Again, that's Radical Health Radio. Make sure you check out Steve. It's absolutely amazing. And yeah, I just think it's a testament to what happens when an individual is so clear on one, who they are, two, how they want to show up in the world, and three, what's the impact that they're looking to make? And what I think is so beautiful about you is that your growth and everything that I've seen on the outside and how these opportunities like the podcast are coming up is because of one, your passion for it, and two, your consistency. You're consistently showing up, doing all of these things while having a lot on your plate just just bought a new house with your wife you have a young child who you are raising you have your health that you're taking over you have your clients that you're working with and it just goes to show it doesn't necessarily matter how quote unquote busy you are when you're extremely clear on who you are and what you're looking to accomplish so what i would love to do for a moment is have you go in just a little bit about what you've learned about yourself in this last year and a half as you've been growing and what were the new things that came up as you've been on this journey of entrepreneurship? That's a really good question, man. And, and to, you know, point to the, your, your previous statements about like doing a lot whilst already having a lot on your plate. I often think about that because I think that you can't compete with somebody that's having fun because they're always going to outwork you. And it might look from the outside like hard work, but if it feels like play to you, you'll just keep doing it. This whole game of health and, and, and talking to people and seeing in their eyes the light bulbs going off and knowing that they're going to be better because of a conversation or because of a coaching program or because of a podcast, that's the funnest shit in the world for me. So I can do it, you know, I can find time for all of that because it's energy gaining. Yes, I've got to give time and I've got a whole space for other people and you've got to, you know, logistically organize the calendar and also be a dad and a husband and look after the animals on the farms and all of that stuff but all of it's fun so it I, I do feel you know very grateful and blessed to say that but it's also by design too it didn't just accidentally happen like you said these 
things that have, um, you know, these serendipitous moments and collaborations and relationships have come not through forcing so much as through consistency, like you said. And one of the ways in which you can be the most consistent is to make sure you're having some fun. And that doesn't mean that you're never going to have to hustle and you're never going to have to be disciplined. And this is not going to mean that every single day you want to get up and do the thing. But in the overarching theme of like making sure what you're doing is aligned with your values, you're going to have some fun in the process and nobody can compete with the person that's having fun. So that's really what's going on there. But your question was really good about what's coming up now with these just new things, you know, appearing and what that's bringing to the surface is really cool because I've been thinking about that too because it, it did bring some stuff to the surface. And I think one of the things I, I talk about a lot in this coaching space is imposter syndrome. And it's present for so many people. And there's a certain point where you, you, you have to start questioning imposter syndrome as something else almost. Because what you'll see, and you'll have experienced this, I'm sure, is that at first you start to worry about like, well, who's going to listen to me? And what, what business do I have sticking my nose into the podcasting world? And look at all these people and I'm never going to be that and da 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 But you say there's something inside of you that says, no, I, I want to do it and I'm, I'm just going to do it. And then you jump in the pool and at first it's a bit scary, but then you kind of get used to it, right? But right. then something else happens. Maybe your podcast starts to reach more people or maybe you're a coach who raises their prices or maybe you get access to a bigger platform and now you graduate from this little kiddie pool and you go into another pool. And guess what? Imposter syndrome comes back. So it's, it's like imposter adaptation that new levels create new devils. And you can kind of beat your imposter syndrome at a certain level, but if you're a person that is on a path of growth and self-development, you bet your ass imposter syndrome is gonna come back again. But what's weird or strange or interesting about that is you've got evidence in the past that you had imposter syndrome and you did right. the thing. So it's not actually got anything to do with your skills. It's got something more to do with your obsession or um, addiction to believing you're not good enough and just being able to be courageous enough to say, well, the only way I'm going to get to a point where I can finally put that to rest is to do the damn thing, is to take right. the messy action, is to risk it all. Because I truly believe that if you try and fail, you will feel a lot better than if you never tried at all. Like if you let the fear win, you will have to live with that open loop of regret forever of what could right. have been. What if I did that? Now you can play, play it smart small and play safe but it's not really what your spirit wants right you don't feel alive there we know that there's no growth in comfort and there's no comfort in growth so that's what's been coming up for me you know I got access here again to you know start a podcast and knowing that this would reach more people than I can reach with my solo account because it's tagged on the coattails of a big company with a large following I started to feel that come up again like oh wow I've I've, I've got to be a certain level of goodness to be accepted or, you know, what about the trolls and the mean comments that are going to happen? And I started to see, why me? Why, why did they ask me of all the people, you know, right. and there was that imposter syndrome was back again. I was like, aha, there it is again. It's been gone for a little bit because I was kind of safe. I was kind of comfortable. Mm. I was doing really good work that I felt good at, but I was kind of playing at a level that I'd adjusted to. So new right. level comes, new devil comes, yep. and almost always it's kind of what's going on internally, right? Between the ears. So that's been what has been uh, coming up for me. And it's been really fun and interesting to work through again, because you kind of have to, you know, coach yourself through it. And as a coach, you know, you, you go first. You can only take... Mm -hmm 
people, clients, listeners on a journey as far as you've been. So right. each time you overcome, you go a little bit further and then you get to say, oh, I know I know how to navigate this now So because I've got some experience. So experience is a really wonderful teacher and that's why I'm constantly seeking new experiences because it teaches us a lot. So that's kind of what's been coming up in these new ventures and it's fun and it's scary and it's exciting all in the same time, you know? I absolutely love it. I love it. And there's so much gold in how you really described imposter syndrome. And I'm going to take this because I love the way that you reframed it from imposter syndrome to imposter adaptation, because you're right. I faced that myself. And actually, when I went to Paleo FX last year and I was speaking, my talk and workshop was actually on overcoming imposter syndrome, right? And having other coaches in that space. And it's just such a funny thing in terms of how you explain new levels new devils because it's so true and i can ex only speak from my experience when i have gone on to something bigger and better now i'm in that new space the first thought that does typically come up is why me am i ready can i actually do this and the first thing my brain wants to say to keep me safe is no 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 like don't do it stay safe keep doing what you've been doing but i love how you explained that imposter syndrome at least how I perceived you explain it, is this thing where it's always going to work to show up. It's always going to be around, whether it's in the periphery or it's right in front of us, but how important it is to actually understand that we've always overcome certain things, right? Or even if we didn't always overcome it, every time that we answered the call, even if we didn't get the result we wanted, we learned something from it that allowed us to be better going forward. And I don't know if you ever heard of the book, um, Psycho-Cybernetics, are you familiar with that at all? So by a doctor named um, Dr. Maltz is his last name, but he was a plastic surgeon. And what he saw was he had a lot of people who would come in that had a, a specific perception of themselves. And some people would get, say, the plastic surgery done and they felt like a whole new person and they felt great and they went and lived their life like they wanted to. And there was also a huge section of people that would get the surgery and still feel terrible about themselves, feel like an imposter or whatever it may be. And something that he talked about in the book is how important it is for us to remember all of the positive excellent things that we've done in the past and use that as evidence going forward. And I think you beautifully bridged that idea together when you said like, hey, when you do feel like imposter syndrome's coming up, the way you turn it to imposter adaptation is by taking a moment to get present, look at your past experiences that were similar in the sense that, hey, you're doing something new for the first time and then you had your positive result and understand you could take that same learning lesson bring it to you with the present moment and allow that to get you into action. Because it's funny, I think the brain kind of tells us like every single new experience that we have is scary and dangerous, right? Like it's meant to keep us safe. We're biologically hardware or hardwired this way, yet we don't realize that. And I think that's something that a lot of people could benefit from is this understanding, Steve, like how would you explain almost why imposter syndrome's there? Like how it started and how it goes back to like our prehistoric days. Yeah, you, you said so much juicy stuff there. I could go in a million different directions, but that, that kind of last point there of this, 
understanding like the consequence of being a human means we have a brain and that's a beautiful burden <laughs> and the reason it can be a burden sometimes is because your brain is there to help you survive not to help you thrive and right. those are very different things so the way i phrase the brain to help people kind of realize what's going on and this totally brings in the imposter syndrome conversation is that it's predominantly working as a protection and prediction machine it's trying to protect you from a familiar painful past like the time you failed or the time you were made fun of or the time you got your heart broken, for example, by attempting to predict the future. Now we get into sticky territory because you can't predict the future. Right. So what's one of the only ways that you can ensure that the future looks somewhat similar and you can control it is by keeping someone exactly the same, just making sure that they do the same things over and over again. And the interesting paradox here is that at the, at the level of the mind and from this scarcity and safety operating system, that works because it's fearful of change because change is new. But at the level right. of the heart or the level of the spirit, that's like a, a, a death sentence. Because mm -hmm. again, we know that that conscience that we have is gonna eat us alive if we're not trying to grow. So that means we're constantly in this battle of kind of disobeying our own inherent negativity bias. Right. And to bring that back to this evolutionary kind of psychology mechanism that you talked about, this more tribalistic brain, we're operating from a very kind of old set of genes and programming and our modern environments are all them like at a mismatch with that you know we we evolved in times of scarcity we live in times of abundance and our brain is basically trying to ensure our survival as much as possible because that's all we've ever done forever right. and that means that it's got to predict and protect right so new things are scary and dangerous so basically don't do them and that's why I think a lot of people can get stuck in really destructive patterns. They know it's destructive and they're having a hard time breaking it and moving beyond it because even in its destructiveness, it, it, it is a predictable and safe destructive. The new removes that sense of um, safety. There's no predictableness right. there. It's, it's chaos. And that's where like the person's confidence and courage has to come in, you know, to, to be become the kind of person that can move beyond that. So that's that imposter syndrome coming up again. It's that I just wanna be seen, I wanna be accepted, I wanna be loved by my tribe because if I'm not at a deep level in my kind of animal brain somewhere, that means I'm gonna get booted from the tribe, I'm gonna starve to death alone, afraid and cold. Right. But we don't, like if we just zoom out from that for a second and can betray our programming, if you will, for a second, we know that's actually not true. And a lot of the way the brain operates because of its inherent negativity bias, its pessimism bias, we have to question a lot of what comes up. Like, wait a minute, that thought that you just had, this, you don't deserve this, or you're not good enough, or you're too old, or you're too fat, or whatever it is. Wait a minute, wait, is that true? Because most of the time, it's not true. There may be a shred of evidence that it felt true for you at one time, right. and that may be some baggage that you're bringing with you from the past, but the past doesn't have the power to define your future unless you give it that power. And that's, that's where you have to kind of go against it. You have to betray your own stories because if, if it is a story, which it is, and we've written the pages that have gone, then does it really matter what was in the last 200 pages or does it matter with the page that you're writing today and the kind of story that you get to write and how you want to close out this chapter and start a new one and ultimately what, what kind of story do you want to tell about the story of your life? That is much more empowering framing for me, but that means that you're going to kind of fight this invisible opponent every step of the way, which is going to be the mind. It's going to be the doubt. It's going to be the fear. It's going to be the imposter syndrome. 
And it's not about banishing it or even seeing it as a bad guy necessarily. It's just about knowing that it's there to protect you. It's along for the ride. So you have to develop a relationship with it. You have to be able to move through that resistance and start to tame it. Because the truth is we are all essentially puppets on the ends of the strings of our evolutionary hardwiring. We're like riding a giant elephant and nobody wants to acknowledge that we don't really control where the elephant of the subconscious mind goes as much as we can develop a relationship with it. Maybe we can grab it by the ears a little bit more and slow it down sometimes or take it left and right sometimes. But most people's elephant is just running a fucking muck. It's going absolutely crazy. And it's all of this negative stuff. Nobody's ever crazy with exuberant positivity, right? Everybody's always like anxious and depressed and scarcity and fearful. And that's just because that's kind of the way the, the, the brain is wired. So we have to do something different, right? Classic, if, if, if you keep doing the same things you've always done, you're gonna keep getting the same results you've always gotten. And most people don't right. want that. They want something new, which means new things, but it also means becoming somebody new. And that means the kind of person that can have the level of awareness to transcend the self-perceived limits or the feelings of insufficiency. Or to your point with that, that um, cosmetic surgery piece, the, the idea that externals can't always fix internals, that you could even get super jacked and ripped and look like a bloody 11 out of 10, and it might not fix what's going on internally. So that right. means we've really got to look at where is the problem arising from, because it takes, it takes time for your identity to catch up to your actions. Like it takes time. That's why the imposter syndrome eventually goes away. There's a certain right. level where at first the imposter syndrome, oh, I can't believe this is even still happening. When am I going to get found out? But eventually, through the action, your identity catches up and it's like, all right, it's safe now. And then it comes back again in a year's time when you go to a bigger platform or whatever it is, right? So right. like you said, you need the evidence. The only way you're going to get the evidence is through the action. And you're also going to have a lot of evidence from the past. And it's important to see that, learn from it, but be able to let it go. Because if that evidence is the thing that defines what you believe is possible for you moving forward, it's probably going to be a rough ride. Because most of our past is a litany of what we think is failures or insufficiencies. And it's not really as hopeful as thinking into this, again, what's the story that I want to write? And what's the new evidence I can go and start gathering about really becoming the kind of person that I say I am? That, to me, is where the game of life and growth, just that's the battleground that it takes place on. It's so true. It's so true. And it's fascinating because as you're saying, all of these things and really putting these ideas out there, it has me realize just how big of a role awareness and personal development plays in being able to exercise these muscles and grow these muscles so that we can continually use them. Because if I think about myself, I've been in this game of, we'll call it personal development, being my best self, working on myself since call it like 2013, 2014-ish, right? So it's like, you know, damn near 10 years, which is crazy to say out loud, but about 10 years, right? And even now it still comes up. And it's so funny, I'll share a story with you. I remember maybe like two, three years in, and I don't know if this is similar to your story, if you've ever experienced this, but it's like, I'm reading all the books, I'm listening to all the podcasts, I'm taking a lot of the actions. And as I'm learning more, I'm realizing that there's so much more I still need to learn, right? And eventually I got to this point where I'm sitting down in my place, I'm by myself, I'm, I'm writing, I'm doing some journaling, and I had this thought come up of like, damn, Alvi, like, when are you gonna get there, right? When are you gonna be there? When are you gonna be, quote unquote, almost enlightened? And in my head, and I, I literally, I look back at that and I laugh because I'm like, 
what a silly idea to think that because I was working on this for two to three years, I was going to quote unquote get there as if there was a specific uh, destination where once I'm there, life is this perfect euphoria and I have nothing else to learn or nowhere else to grow. And it's so funny that in that moment, it had me shift my mindset to really understand like this is a lifelong journey. That the moment that I do get to a certain destination that I want for myself, it's not like my life is over, right? Or it's like if I reach a certain goal, it's not like, okay, now life is going to stand still and I'm just going to chill and be a monk in the mountains. It's understanding that as I grow, as I learn more, I realize that now my potential has raised up higher and now I get to take more actions to chase that potential that's always going to be ahead of me and in front of me because I'm constantly learning and growing. And how this ends up tying into imposter syndrome was this reframe of like, look, no matter where I get to, and even when I get used to it, there's another level that I know I'm able to go. And But take a moment to pause, look behind you, and realize how far you've gone to get to this place and to know if even that place that's way over there that you know you can get to, you have everything that it takes to get to that spot. And, and to your point, Steve, it takes the action. It takes the courage. It takes the confidence. And I've noticed for myself, it's really pausing and taking inventory of recognizing my own wins, right? I, I walk my, my clients through a similar process where every session, we're focused on at least bringing up one win, for the week like hey here's your plan this is what you set out to do right now let's look back at the homework what did you accomplish what did you win right and usually they'll have something that they're proud of but even in the moments when they're not proud of something that they've done or they feel like they didn't make the mark they've realized that there's always a learning lesson there they realize that there's something that they didn't anticipate was going to happen but now they have a tool that they can use Next time that same type of situation presents itself, because inevitably in life, it's going to present itself again. So I'm curious for you, Steve, like when you think about this journey, how have you looked at yourself in terms of, hey, I can see how far I've come. I can see where I'm going. But how do you stay grounded and present to be for that ride as opposed to getting caught up in like, damn, like, can I really do that? Or even do I want to do that anymore? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's a challenge, man. I think hearing you reflect that back was causing me to reflect a little bit on, like you, like you were saying, like, hurry up and get there. But where is there? Because if right. it's this place of self-development and it's this glass ceiling that when you hurry up and get there, you're just going to establish a new one, right? Because potential is really not actualized by anybody fully. There's always something you could be doing more. And maybe sometimes in the self-development and self-growth and actualization space, maybe we are a bit too much about the self-growth and actualization mm. and development to stop sometimes and smell the roses and look behind right. and pause for that moment of gratitude, right? It's the difference between contentment and complacency, right? You want to be content with where you're at because you did an awful lot of difficult work to get here and you don't want to be complacent because you want to grow it's kind of like inbuilt it's baked into the cake of our dna to continue to evolve it's what we've been doing as a species for two hundred and fifty thousand years 
Right. And I think, you know, maybe sometimes we do need to slow down though and enjoy the journey, right? It's, it's Carol Dweck, you know, psychology kind of growth mindset guru uh, had a quote that becoming is better than being. Mm. And that's kind of that idea that you were talking about. Like the thing that you get to have the accolade or reaching the destination is made all the sweeter by becoming the kind of person that got to accomplish it. And actually that's more valuable than me actually having the thing, you know, like summiting Mount Everest is impressive, but becoming the kind of person that could do that, you know, could do the right. wheat trek and acclimate to the altitude and the year of training that it took to get there and the special diet, that's way more impressive than the moment. And I think sometimes myself included, and a lot of people were too focused on the summit, were too focused on the outcome and not so much on the process. So it's a constant reminder for myself to trust that outcomes take care of themselves if you focus and fall in love with the process, right? The goal isn't to become, sorry, the goal isn't to get the outcome. It's not to get the accolade. It's not to get what you want. It's to become the kind of person that deserves to get what you want. And that for me is just much more sustainable because now I'm not always operating from lack because I don't have it yet. I'm not in that hurry up and get there mode. Hurry up and reach a certain salary or hurry up and reach a certain following because I just have to trust that if I show up with the highest intention each day to have fun and be consistent, that those things are a formality and the real focus is is this, the day-to-day, every day. If If I'm too focused on that, it's always I'll be happy when right? Mm, I'll be happy when I get there. I'll be happy when this, and then you get there and you're like the conqueror of mountains where you like give yourself two minutes and a little pat on the back and you're like, all right, there's a bigger mountain over there. Off we go again. But maybe, maybe we should hang out at the top for like an hour or maybe a couple of days, you know, and just, (laughs) yeah, cool. We made it. All right. Now I'm ready to go again. So it's, it's, I think it's a, it is a balancing act. And I think it can be difficult for people to strike. You know, you don't want to get too apathetic and have no drive and just be like, yeah, this is fine. Everything's the good the way it is because it's not. We could all be doing right. better. But uh, if you're too obsessed, like too growth minded and like, I'm just going to smash everything. And you can always, well, you're never going to feel enough, right? If you're always chasing, you're never going to feel enough. And I think that's a trap as well. So they're both traps on either end. Yeah. So it's the balance of, again, right, contentment. I'm fucking proud of myself and I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm not complacent though. That doesn't mean that I'm finished and I'm right. going to keep evolving. And even as we age and even into advanced age when our bodies start to betray us and things like that, mm. that I'm going to get better in different ways. It's not always just about the ways we think, like money and, and, and the body and the strength. Those are great, you know, in your youth. But like, what about, again, your awareness and your spiritual connections and your relationships and and your wisdom that you can pass on to the youth and those kind of things too. So it's a balancing act, man. And it can be a sticky trap sometimes because just think of the world we live in. It's it's all about the outcomes, right? It's all about the status. It's all about, you know, signaling to the world, look, look, I am enough. And that's all we want is people to just be (laughs) like, yeah, fucking right on, right on, dude. You're enough, you know, And, and... how can we give that to ourselves, I guess, a little bit along the way? I think that's the key right there, being able to give it to ourselves. And you make such a great point of this, this idea and balancing act between contentment and also, you know, just being able to, you know, or just being complacent. It's like, where do you fall and where's the equilibrium there? And it's funny, I was thinking about how you were explaining it. And you said that oftentimes we can understand where we're at in terms of like maybe our salary 
or in like strength or you know how our body looks because i think all of those things are very tangible right you know what i'm saying like you know we can hit the gym we can we can put you know 500 pounds on a deadlift and if i've only done 495 up to that point the minute that i do that 500 i'm gonna be elated right i'm gonna throw the weight down i'm gonna be clapping everyone's gonna be hyped for me and like i can physically feel that i can see that number same thing with salary or someone has a certain job title it's like hey i'm at this area and now i've graduated to director right or now i'm the president of this thing or i'm a coo whatever it is it's like okay i have that tangible title behind it but what i think could be more difficult and i would love to hear your opinion on this and how you view it it's like how can a person recognize the growth in their own awareness or in their wisdom mm -hmm. i posted this on instagram i think a couple days ago and i and i because i was thinking about a similar thing and i was basically like you strip everything back and what matters the most is how a person feels when they're alone with themselves mm. that's a good barometer of success right there how do you feel when you're alone with yourself not when you're alone with yourself and you're scrolling on tiktok or instagram truly can you put everything aside and can you be alone with yourself and how do you feel mm. right? that's gonna tell you a lot because you're going to quickly notice, like, again, on paper, tangibly speaking, you might be six-pack Pete, and you might be rich, and you might be out there just, you know, destroying life and just living it up. But when you're alone with yourself, if your self-talk is cruel, and you feel like a piece of shit, you feel like you're not doing enough, and you feel like you've just got to keep proving stuff to the world because you've got a chip on your shoulder, then the tangibles didn't do it for you, did they? There's something else that probably needs addressing because... You, you you never win that game, right? right? Like these people that need a certain, you know, material wealth, right? Like, or the, the goal is like, I'm going to have a yacht one day. Well, that's great until Roman Abramovich pulls up next to you and his yacht is two times the size of yours and you back uh. off. Fuck. So, <laughs> you know, those things are cool and they're nice. And if you enjoy them, use them. Um, it's not, it's not wrong to own things until things own you. But I think mm. what's really more important is owning, like you said, your awareness to the best of your ability. So how a person, you know, kind of sees that and develops it, there's, I think there's, there's kind of many roads that lead to Rome here, you know, meditation and awareness and choosing, purposefully choosing adversity, choosing stillness and nature. You know, initiation is something I think about a lot, rites of passage yeah. and such, because we're, we're kind of missing them in modern culture. And um, we have pseudo initiations, like we get our driver's license and we go to college. And if you're a dude, the way you're successful at college is to try and drink as much as you can and sleep with as many girls as you can. And right. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a ritual in a sense, but it's devoid of meaning. And mm -hmm. ancient cultures have always had initiation processes and, 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 right. and these rituals, these rites of passage. And an initiation for me can be defined as when you... What everything, everything that you thought was true today, sorry, yesterday is no longer true today. I'll say that again. When everything you believe to be true yesterday is no longer true today, you've kind of had an initiation, right? You've shook your snow globe so aggressively that you're like, oh shit, like everything I thought I'm now questioning. And I think we have to seek those experiences, you know, through whatever it is, extended fasting or doing a vision quest or mm -hmm. for some people that's a path of plant medicine. For some people it's diving deep into the physical health and feeding mm -hmm. themselves well and exercising or meditation practice, whatever it is. But I think you have to seek those because that's how you train the skill of awareness. You, you have to start going in and in and in. Stop looking 
so much to the externals in the world. Again, you don't need to, you know, d disown them and say that you, you renounce these things, but you just trust that, like, if I get right in myself and I start to act from that place, then the external world kind of sorts itself out in a sense. And that's probably a truer representation of a more holistically balanced vision of health. It's, it's not just about wealth. Or, or maybe it is about wealth, but wealth needs to be defined differently. That, that wealth is not just about money and things, that it's about right. being rich in the currency of happiness, and it's about right. good relationships, and it's about meaning, and it's about when your head hits the pillow at the end of the night, that you're generally giving yourself a pat on the back and saying, you know, good job more than you're saying, you fucking suck, man, you got to do more. So mm -hmm. it's a tricky one again, but I think that you have to be intentional in, about it, especially in this world because everything's an all-out assault for your attention, and it's trying to distract you, and it's trying to get you to play these false games, and it's trying to get you on the hedonic treadmill. And unless you're incredibly aware, you will end up there, because you're working against forces and technology that is a lot smarter than ourselves in some right. instances, you know? So it's tricky, but awareness is the key, and it's it's cliched, and it's as, it's as time-tested and true as, as ever, though, which is you can't change anything without awareness. Nothing changes without awareness. So, so there's a... There's a key that unlocks a lot for a lot of people. I love that. I love that. I mean, as the old adage goes, awareness is key, right? And and I love what you were talking about in terms of this need for initiation, right? And it's something that in more ancient traditions, they had ample opportunities, especially we'll say for, for men, to go from a young boy to a man. And, and I'll share something with you because I don't think I've shared this with you before, um, but it's a very relevant story. I remember just maybe about a year and a half ago, I went to Montana with one of my coaches, Mike DeSanti, amazing man. And it was about 12 of us, 12 men. And in this moment, it was just him and us driving back from doing a sweat lodge that he led us through. And we're talking just about life during this drive through just the amazing wilderness of Montana. So it's quiet. It was a safe space. You know, we're being open with each other. We're talking. There's a lot of trust there. And he asked me, he's like, he's like, Alvi, he's like, I've, I've heard so much of your story and how your mom plays into it, but I never really hear you talk about your father at all. And he started asking, like, hey, like, what's that relationship like? And it's so interesting. I, I took a step back and I was like, you know, when I'm asked about my dad, I actually have my dad's name. I'm Alvi Daniel Thompson Jr., Right. And he's Alvy Daniel Thompson. And it's so interesting because, you know, he wasn't really there in my life. He was there from when I was born to about three years old. And then my mom kicked him out of the house. And then eventually he came back when I was in like fifth grade through like seventh, eighth grade. So he's there for a little bit. But he was always the type of guy that was kind of just in the streets, out and about, always had a ton of love for me. But he's also the type of person that didn't really express himself very much, didn't talk a lot. So we never shared intimate moments together, right? There was very rarely any of this like going outside and throwing the ball. You know, every once in a while we shoot hoops. But I bring that up because it really had me think about how did my lack of a relationship with my father turn into how much I seeked initiation throughout my life as I got older, and that's what, what, what Mike brought up to me. He's like, he's like, if you think about it, I've had the plant medicine ceremonies, right? Um, part of my fraternity, we have our own process of 
um, being a part of the fraternity. I played college football, and that's, you know, looked at at its own initiation in itself. And then, you know, you talk about the sweat lodges and all of the cold plunges and the this and the that and the fasting and all of it. I've always sought it out, but I had never made the connection that I'm seeking out these things to basically put myself through some type of initiation to not necessarily prove that I'm a man or anything, but there, there was never no conscious thought exactly behind why I was doing it. But when I but when I reflect back, it's like, oh, I've always sought out these challenges because they were just never really made available. And I can see how they made me better. And then to your point, when we talk about, you know, the success of a of a man or even of a boy, I forgot where I heard this, but this is from someone else. This is my own idea. But it's like when we're super young or we're just young boys, we're seen as successful or as the best based off of like how good are we at our sport, right? And then we start to grow up a little bit. We get to that, that high school and college age. And then to your point, that next level of like, oh, you're the man is either how many girls are you getting, right? Or how much can you drink, right? Essentially, it's that. And then you graduate from from college, right? And now you get into young adulthood and you just keep going throughout. It's how much money do you make? What's your title? What's your status? That's what quote unquote makes you a man. And I never really realized how true that was until I started getting into the type of work that we do, especially coaching men one-on-one and realizing like, damn, so many of the people that I work with one-on-one have loads of career and financial success. They've climbed the ladder. They're either at the pinnacle or they're well on their way of getting there. They have the money, they have the house, the apartment, whatever it is, but they still feel like something is missing, right? And that's why I think you're so spot on. We talk about the importance of having a broader definition of wealth. And to me, it's really tapping into the pillars of life that make us dynamic men or dynamic women. And yes, there's career and finances, but it's also our health. It's also our community. It's also our relationships. It's also our personal growth, our spiritual growth. And basically, what are we doing to make ourselves and the world around us better? And I think it's interesting that we are, at least I perceive, we're coming to this space now where more and more men and women who are, say our age, say early to mid-30s, are starting to realize, like, damn, there's so much more to my fulfillment than only my career and money. So I know I threw a lot at you, but I'm curious, like what comes up for you when you're thinking about how people are shifting the way they think about their success? Their success. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. There's there's loads of good stuff in there. And one of the things that stands out towards the end of that is that what people what we're seeing kind of break down in in these examples that you've seen working with like highly successful men for example that have basically been told like hey if you get all of this you're set and all of a sudden it's like uh no i'm just very wealthy but there's something missing is the myth of culture that's breaking down which is that apparently we are supposed to be the happiest we've ever been because we have more of that than ever before. Now, there's still people in in severe abstract poverty and all of that stuff, but broadly speaking, more humans are thriving from that economic standpoint than have ever. 
And if the myth of culture is that more access to things like education and food and money and wealth and all of that makes us happier, we should in theory be the happiest that we've ever been. But we don't see that, right? We just don't. It's actually getting worse. The number one killer of men under the age of 45 in the UK is suicide. Wow. That's crazy to think about. There's a crisis across the board. This isn't just a men's problem. There's a crisis, especially with young women and anxiety and depression and social media. There's a mating crisis going on right now because there's been a big shift in the empowerment in women's spaces and access to education and wealth. And they actually, on average, from 18 to 30 years old now, women actually out-earn men by about $1,000 on average. So things are swinging back, which is incredible for women, but at the same time is causing a shift in the whole myth of culture for both sexes because men have always had this like damsel in distress, I'm gonna be the prince that saves and provides. And all right. of a sudden now women don't need you to save and provide for them. And it's right. and it's simultaneously disempowering to them. It's incredibly frustrating to women because you've got all women basically competing for the top 20% of these giga chad men because they're hypergamous, which means they date across and up. So they right. want a mate that's at least equally as educated or equally as financially stable as they are, but ideally more so. And men are going this way and women are going this way. And it's causing a rift because there's a crisis of masculinity. They don't know where to stand and like what weighs up or down. There's frustration from women. They're being pulled into the workplace and maybe some of that's great if they really want it. But how much of that is also just fueling this machine of corporate America because they don't need brawn anymore. They need brains. And that means we can sit women behind screens and have them do the CEO jobs now. And on one hand, it's great because the access wasn't there for a long time. And on another hand, I'm like, have they just hit us with like a little magic trick here where we've convinced women that that's what they should want and they should forego mm. family and chase career and status? So all of this amalgamates to something like a crisis where you can never get enough of something that almost works. You can never get enough of of like the, the, the extra, you know, the $25,000 raise or the, the, the upgraded car because again, it's not it's not holistic. It's not that thing of, of balance like you said. And I wonder how many people spend their entire lives kind of climbing a ladder to only realize that they get halfway up or even all the way to the top to realize that the ladder was against the wrong wall, right? <laughs> and it's exactly. great, you climbed a ladder, but you're like, ah, this was the wrong wall. And right. it's and that's it's kind of frustrating because that means you've got to come down, you've got to start the climb again. Or, you know, it's the tale of two mountains. You spend your whole life climbing one mountain to get to the top and be like, ah, oh, it's that one over there. And it's an arduous journey to go back down. And then, you know, you wonder what happens there. Do people just double down uh, because they can't get enough of something that's almost, like it's almost scratching that itch, right? It's almost telling me I should be this, that, and the other, but like, I don't quite feel it. And maybe that's why so many of us numb. And that's why in that male example, again, there's so much um, boozing and pornography usage and just ways to kind of check out and get that instant gratification, that hit of dopamine and all of these other things. So there's so much going on here that it's hard to point to what it is on 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 like a you know a, a very succinct level it seems to be a lot of things that are really shifting in the awareness of people because most people have gotten at least a taste of what they were told was going to make them happy and it didn't quite do it and that's an initiation in and of itself right if you yeah. told yourself your entire life let's say some arbitrary number of a salary was going to make you happy and you hit it and like for a day you were like i fucking did it and then next week 
you've got all the same problems as you had and it didn't change who you were and nothing really changed and your relationship is still broken, that's an initiation because everything you believed yesterday, which was $50,000 or $100,000 or a million dollars was gonna fix all my problems, is no longer true today because I got there and it didn't change shit. So right. we kinda need it. We kinda need the breakdowns to go on the breakthroughs. But I just wish it didn't have to be so painful so much of the time and it didn't have to disproportionately affect certain segments of the population so much. But it seems to be that this is our particular challenge right now as modern humans to try and figure out together and to, to try and like heal and get through and hopefully have more conversations like this that kind of just open up that conversation and awareness, you know? A hundred percent. And that's why I love that we're able to have this conversation because at least just in my perception of what I see many people don't like having this conversation. It's like a, the, immediately, and again, this isn't a fact. This is simply how I see it and I perceive it from, from the outside. But it's almost this idea of like the minute that I speak on something, I have to see, all right, do I fit now into this box, which means that I come along with all of these other things that in reality I have nothing to do with those things, just how I feel about this one thing. And now if I'm trying to have a conversation with another person, now is that person going to fit me into that specific box and now label me as this thing, this thing, this thing because of one thought? And that's what I think is difficult because now it completely cuts out any nuance that there can be around what is the actual macro matters that are at hand. And something that you brought up that I think is so true is that we're in this place where there's just so many massive shifts going on, right? And we specifically spoke about the role of men in society and then the role of women in society. And like you said, there's more women who are thriving in the workplace, professional life than ever before. And now that's impacted, you know, the level of mate that they're able to bring into their life, right? Because of hypergamy. Right. And even for men, too, it's like, you know, now they're in a much bigger pool where now in the past, maybe they had such a huge selection and maybe they don't have the same selection anymore. And it really just has people looking at it like, what is best for me and for society all at the same time? Like, it's a crazy contradiction. And, you know, this is something Alejandra, my fiance, and I talk about pretty often because she's an entrepreneur. She's working on her business. And we also have endeavors to, God willing, have a family in the next you know, year or two. But thankfully, we're very clear on what our path looks like in terms of like, hey, she wants to be at home taking care of the kids. Like that the kids are going to be number one. And she'll be able to work a certain amount of hours that she wants to work that allows her to live her impact and all of that at the same time. But then I wonder, there's so many women out there where I hear these stories that they are career women, right? But then eventually that biology catches up to them, right? And that like that deeper yearning of wanting kids comes, but now it might have happened at an age where it's harder for them to have kids or it's harder for them to find a mate. And to me, it's one of these things where it's so important for a person man or woman, to be clear on what it is that they desire, but also understand what you desire right now, it might be vastly different a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and being able to 
take personal responsibility for wherever you're at in that journey and being able to have peace with the decisions that you make. Because, you know, sometimes we make decisions now that we think are the best decision and we really are doing our best. But then five, 10 years go by and we're in a different situation. We're like, damn, like, well, I should have done this. Right. And it's it's finding that balance of not being able to beat ourselves up for doing what we thought was best at the time. So I'll, I'll pause there for a moment. I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of just that balance between like, man, there's a crossroads. There's decisions that I might want to make right now. But understanding that that decision or series of decisions can have a huge impact on what I am or I'm not able to do in the future future yeah yeah it's a lot to hold right um yeah i because I, I think regret really doesn't serve us very well uh, you know usually where there's regret there is uh, my I, i'm shutting all over myself i, I should have right. done this or it should have been more like this or i shouldn't have done this but the truth of that is that's a losing game if you are arguing with the reality of what's been and gone you're going to lose every single time because it's been and gone and, and in an uncomfortable kind of truth way it had to be exactly the way it was because it was and there's nothing you can do to right. change it so you know if, if somebody's feeling a lot of regret the one thing is to just kind of learn the lessons to the best of your ability from that and not again give so much power to the past that it defines your future while simultaneously understanding that the future kind of never comes either, right? Tomorrow never comes. Right. It's always now. And to your point, what we want now will change at a certain level of life. If you'd have asked me what I wanted from life when I was 19, I don't even know if I could have told you, but it would look very different to when I was 25 and now at the age right. of 30 and, you know, and, and on and on it goes. But I think what that means is we need to get very, very clear on what it is that we want now without being so wedded to that's how it's going to be forever. Because I think it's very hard to hit a target that you haven't established, right? And people are kind of like, I, I started this podcast saying something along the lines of I like to empower people to live life by design, not by default. Because the default piece is the instant gratification. It's the lies of culture. It's, it's, it's the scarcity mindset of the past life by design means you know asking a very powerful question that not many people ask which is what do i really want what do i really want and and, and is that aligned with my values and and that just keeps going you know well am i am i being the kind of person that gets to deserve that do my actions align with that am i in integrity is who i say i am in public the same person that i am in private and again, knowing that I only get to test that theory by authenticating it through action to decide whether it is actually what I want or whether it's just what I thought I wanted. Like a great point that you made here is the is the kind of aging process of how women are having children later and later because of this career thing. And what's interesting about this is you've got a subset of women that really feel happy with the decision to build a career. Uh, and that's what they wanted to do and fucking power to them. I think it's incredible that they can compete in that way now as well. But you also hear many, many anecdotal stories of a person, and it's a prime example of what we're talking about. What I want now when they're in the you know 20s is to compete with these people in the workplace. 
And when I'm 35, I've ascended that corporate ladder and now I decide that I'm comfortable enough to go and find a mate and I can't do it in time. And I end up that 40 year old woman that never found a partner in time to have a kid. And now I have to deal with the consequences of that because what I thought I wanted changed. And that's, that's, you only get to find that out by living it. You can't project into the future, but you know, I've got, a, I've got a stat here from Richard Reeves' work, and it says that 80% of women who didn't have kids didn't intend not to have kids. Mm. What that means is involuntary childness, childlessness accounts for four out of five issues wow. worldwide. So 10% of women are unable to have a, a, a child because of complications. 10% actually didn't plan or want a child because they chose the career. But that's 20%. And that leaves a whopping 80% of childless mothers who didn't choose not to have. They just kind of aged out or they didn't find the right person at the right time. Or maybe they spent too long in the career and left it too late and those kinds of things. Now, that's tricky because on one hand, they probably feel simultaneously very good about the careers that they built and simultaneously are mourning the loss of a life that now they feel that they want. But again, like how's anybody supposed to predict that? I don't think we can predict it, but I think we have to get really, really honest and sit down with pen and paper and write out what I think I want now. And is it making me happy? And is it really mine? Or have I borrowed it from culture? Or have I been given it by my parents? Or is it this thing? And is it this pressure? Like to try and clear the cobwebs as much as possible to say, this is what I want. And, and knowing that it was a wonderful time to be alive, that you can actually climb two walls. Like I said, you know, you can put your wall up against this ladder while simultaneously chipping away over here because we have new tools now. Technology is allowing us to do a lot more than we ever could have because like in the mom example, again, you can be a badass stay at home mom while building your business while your baby naps. Like that's a wonderful thing. You don't have to be in the office, right? It's not necessarily one or the other. It can be both. But these are just examples that come up on on, on the back end of that conversation because things are changing, you know, things are changing very, very fast. For the first time in our history as a species, since records are being taken, we have reached the tipping point where it's now 50.1% of children are had after the age of 30. So forever, up until 2020, it, so basically we were getting older and older and older at having kids. And what this is right. actually creating is population collapse, a real existential threat that once you reach a certain tipping point, we want to talk about climate change, we want to talk about war with Russia and all of these stuff, which are real threats, but you want to talk about something that is going to be a real problem unless we can reverse it, is the fact that there are less young people having less young people to do the jobs that the world needs. And eventually Mm. we're coming over this cliff and it's going to collapse. And all of these are consequences of progress and it is progress and progress is wonderful. And it's afforded us these amazing lives, but you have to wonder what's the cost of progress too. And is it all sunshine and rainbows? And sometimes that the Bible says the road to hell is paved with good intentions And Gabor Mate says the road to hell is paved with a lack of intention in the sense that we're just not thinking about what we're doing because it's just progress and consumption and more and growth incessantly. But that also kind of sounds like cancer because that's what that does in the body, right? It consumes and it's more and it's more and it eats its host alive. And I wonder how much of that myth of the new culture, the new God of consumerism and growth and wealth creation and career and progress is not what we've been told it was or is or should be and how it makes us feel. So again, it's a deep 
conversation, but these are things that I think about. These are the things that I wrestle with because ultimately I just want people, I'd hate for people to get to a certain area of their life and feel like, again, they, they spent 50 years climbing the wrong ladder because that's right. like, imagine having that feeling, you know, and being like this, cause you can't change it. Right. Like at that point it sucks. You've 50, like 50 years of life gone and not lamenting in that because hopefully you've still got a good 50 years ahead of you, but it'll sting. And I'd rather people ask these questions earlier and start to create that life now than then, you know? I love that. It makes so much sense. And, you know, when you're working with people or even just for the listeners right now, what's the practice that you'd like to use that helps yourself and others be able to ask yourself the right questions and see where you are and where you want to be? Yeah, I think um, values, values. What I see with a lot of my clients, and it's really interesting, is I one of the first things I do with them when we start working together is do like a values audit, if you will. And we put things into values buckets. And you would be amazed at how difficult this is for people because nobody's asked them pretty much forever. Schools even stopped asking this question. They're just like, you're just churning out these little factory workers and <laughs> people are just like, they decide who their celebrity kind of role model is. I'm going to be the basketball player. And when that fails for 99% of people, then I'll, well, I guess I'll work fine. And so my dad was a doctor, so I'll do that. Nobody ever right. stopped and said, what do you value? Like, what makes you happy? How do you want to show up in relationship? How do you want to show up in your community? What do you want your career to look like? Not from the numbers and the prestige, but how do you want to feel while you're doing it? What do you want your self-value bucket to look like in terms of your spiritual connections and, and your connection to nature? How does your physical body want to look? Like most people have not asked those questions for a long time. And that means the living life by default, not by design. So I start there because then once we've sucked out our values and I like to establish three values across these bucket, which gives somebody 12 values to focus on. Like these are your 12 defining life values. You don't have to do all 12 at once, but if we start slowly moving the needle forward on all of them, guess what? You know, 10 years from now, you're going to be so much happier because you've actually designed what it is that you wanted to do. And from extracting values from people, now you can set goals because people are just setting goals because productivity experts on Instagram told them to set goals. They never actually right. stop to think like, do these goals actually fucking mean anything to me? And the truth mm -hmm. is most of the time, no, they don't. That's why most goals fail. They don't fucking right. mean anything to the person that's setting them. So this pull out the values because the values kind of map the destination, if you will, the goals set the course and the systems and habits guide the way. And that is usually what I always start with people, whether it's health coaching, whether it's business coaching, whatever, because let, let's get you clear on what you want in life. Because at that point, you might even realize that doing this with me isn't really what you want. I'll give you your money back and say, go chase the thing that you really want, because you've got to be very clear on what it is that you want. Because if you don't ask that question, you're gonna get something else. If you don't have a dream, you're gonna live somebody else's dream. And I want yep. people to live their dream. And I want to people to be able to, you know, make that a reality. And I think it's possible. I, I think it's possible for so many people if they ask the right kind of questions. Absolutely. It, it, I love that. And I, and I focus when I'm working with people, I start with the dream in the way that you just named it there and allowing the dream to put the values in congruency. Because in the same way that you were talking about goals, how people have these goals and it's like, oh, I want to do these things. But then you press them about it. You uncover it, unpack it. You realize like, oh, yeah, maybe those aren't the goals that I really had for myself. I also find that when I'm talking values with people, the thing that they say that they value 
I make up that they say it's their values because it sounds good, right? It'll be the ones where it's like, it's like, yeah, I really want to be of service to others. And it's like, okay, how does your life represent that now? Like, what are you doing that's helping you be of service to others? And then they sit back and they look at their job and their career because that's where they spend most of their time. And they realize like, well, I'm not doing much there. So is it that you truly do value being of service to others? Because now if you do, well, now let's start to find goals and actions to work towards that. Or is that something you just see a lot of people say and it sounds very virtuous? So, so that's what you say. Right. Because it's not to me, it's not wrong or bad if you don't want to be of service to others. Right. But I think there's just certain types of values that are out there that people just say because they sound good. And I think it comes down to a person really knowing their self. And that's why I, I view the work that we do as so powerful, because we give people the opportunity and the space to really figure out who they are right now, who they want to be and essentially what type of thought patterns and actions are stopping them from getting to that point. And the reason why we're able to do that type of work with others is because we've done it and we continue to do it with ourselves. So I think it's really important for anyone listening right now, like, just like Steve said, like get clear on your values, like take the time to sit down and see like, Hey, like, what do I truly care about? What are the types of things I want to be doing with my time? Who are the types of people I want to be around? What, how do I want to feel in my body? What do I want my body to feel like? How do my food choices dictate that? How do my, my workouts dictate that? How does my stress management and my sleep and all of these things dictate that? Because as you go on and as you learn more about yourself, you're going to realize that there's even more about yourself that you get to learn. And, and that's a lot of what, what my, my process was like. I remember as I was talking about my personal development journey, you know, a lot of it started in, in the physical health space, right? I wanted to look a certain way. And eventually, in order to get there, I literally cut out everything else in my life that wasn't going to be, quote unquote, in alignment with me looking the way I wanted to look and feeling the way that I wanted to feel. So I was very clear on that. And that's what got me started. But then if I fast forward a year, I realize, hey, I'm doing all these great things for my physical health. I'm doing all these great things for, um, you know, my my clarity and my energy and all of that. And I got to a point one day where I'm sitting in my apartment. It's it's like 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. And like I pause for a moment, I look around and I realize I'm all by myself on a Saturday night. It was this epiphany that like, wait, this isn't the answer either, right? Like th there's a huge social component to my happiness and I was neglecting that, but I had chose to neglect that kind of unconsciously to a point where it was like, hey, I have to rid myself of all these things. But then I realized like, hey, I can still be healthy, have a great life and go out and be out with friends and be social and be out late and still manage it in such a way that's in alignment with my values. So I can go out and either have a drink if I want to or not have a drink and be fine, right? I can go out and I can have the conversations with the people I want to have it with and not be around the people that I don't necessarily want to have conversations with or interact with. But before, it was such an all or nothing type of mentality 
that don't get me wrong, the all was serving me at that time and the nothing was serving me at that time. But then there was this realization of like, okay, this isn't it anymore. So now let me reassess my values. Oh, let me see how the social aspect is so important. And now let me move forward in that way. And that's what I found that I've continued to do like throughout this journey, just realizing like the destination is not where things end and understanding that there's going to be more things that I learn going forward. So yeah, that, that's been a game changer for me. And, you know, a question I have for you is now that you're in this spot where you have a bigger platform, right? Where you have many ways that you're being of service through the podcast, through your coaching of individuals, for the coaching of, you know, groups and doing your amazing retreats that you're up to now. What do you feel like is like your values now? Like what what is the the purpose and the passion that you have now? And how can you see that that's different than just say three, five years ago? Yes, it's it's such a good question. And to, to your point, it reminds me of a Naval Ravikant quote. I'm a big fan of Naval. I think he's got some really great takes about a lot. And he said, uh, it's much easier to achieve your material desires than it is to renounce them. And you can think about that from the body perspective here, because in a sense, that goal of like being fucking shreddy Kruger is a material desire, <laughs> right? And if you get there, it's much easier to be like, oh shit, this isn't that balanced actually. And what I'm sacrificing for this last 10% of my body composition goals is actually detracting away from the other 80% of my life isn't really worth it. So let me reassess and find balance. It's easier to achieve it, to realize it's not it, to adjust and course correct than it is to renounce it altogether. Because you could just be like, yeah, that doesn't matter, bro. But there's always gonna be that open loop in your head of, yeah, but maybe it does and, and maybe, I, I want that and why do I want that? And I need to go and find out, you know? It's much easier to, you know, go back to driving a Prius if you've drove a Ferrari, right? But if you just <laughs> sit here from never driving the Ferrari and just say, oh, yeah, that's just a junk, it's a piece of, just a piece of metal, it gets me from A to B like everything else does, you, you, you're never gonna quite know because you've got this zygonic open loop of like, but what if? So I think you do need to pursue to your point, you do need to do that. And I, I was on the exact same journey, man, and that's how it's evolved. You know, I thought that, yeah, if I get, Lord Swoldemort and get all jacked and tanned that my life was gonna be made. And I got like, you know, I got healthy and I looked really good with a shirt off. And uh, it didn't fix what was going on. So it forces you to reevaluate. Oh, maybe there's something else. And that's been the, the quest ever since, you know, like chasing these things. You have to kind of go and get them to realize, oh yeah, they're not actually that important. Whether it's the salary or if I wore a Rolex on my wrist that, you know, that the world is gonna, you know, become my oyster and it's like oh no nothing changes now you're just worried about getting mugged <laughs> so you're right yeah so your, your your values have to change but they, they change through experience and i think it's wonderful and that's why we've got to seek action and, and and it's much easier to kind of act our way into change than it is to think our way into change and again through that action things evolve because you're going to change so now you know like my mine maybe more of my youthful values were more centered around selfish interests in all honesty you know like to I think we're all out for ourselves at some point, right? And now it's like, you, you said something earlier about um, maybe what's best for you sometimes isn't best for everybody else. And maybe we've got to go through that immature phase. And now what I'm trying to do is make what's best for me best for everything else too. Like one of my core overarching values is, is like leave things, people, places better than you found them. Like leave everybody with this 
impression of growth or hope because of something that you said to him and and try and apply this to like the micro like if i order a coffee at a random coffee shop i'm going to try and make eye contact with the barista and compliment them if possible or genuinely ask them about their day and and give a shit as opposed to just being like oh you know thanks like little things because maybe not it's not like true in every sense of the word but i like this idea of how you do one thing is how you do most things and right. if we can apply some sense of pride and excellence to all that we do, I think it starts to create ripples. And ripples is my other big why, my other big driving value right now is ripples in the sense that I'm only one man. I can only influence my little sphere. But when I can help another coach who's going to go away and coach another hundred people and those hundred people are going to have better relationships and those relationships are going to turn into uh, better, more uh, aligned parents and they're going to raise better kids now all of a sudden like that mm. ripple effect goes like and it's like yeah. out there man so through retreats and through the podcast I just think sometimes you know like I, I've tried to remind myself that if I post one video or do one podcast or do anything and it, and it helps one person then it was enough I don't need mm. to do 10,000 plays or this amount of thing like one person was enough you know one life change was enough because that one life change isn't just one life change it's many because of the consequences of that kind of ripple effect that, that reverberates out from that. So now you combine all of that and you have this passion, you have this purpose and you want to have fun doing it. And it kind of looks like doing what I'm doing. And again, there's still hard work that I'm far from finished. You know, I still I want more clients and I want more retreats, but it's moved away from this more kind of immature scarcity base. Like I need this for a certain level of security or whatever it is to... I get to do this. This is the, these are some of my gifts, and I and I get to use them to genuinely help people, and that's two way medicine. Because as I serve, I get to drink, and it feels amazing, mm -hmm. and I can have fun doing it. And I think that's really what we're all looking for, right? Like it's the classic: if you can get paid doing what you love, I mean, there's few things sweeter than that, you know. And then I get to come home at the end of the day to, you know, beautiful wife and son, and you know, the land here. So it's it's just continuing to give and, and trust if you. If you give, it's coming back to you. Sometimes it's not as quick as you'd want it to be. And sometimes yeah. the, the boomerang takes some detours, but it trust it's coming back to you. you, you it's, it's all you've got. You've just got to have trust and faith that you put out your best self and you're going to get some good stuff back. I love it. I mean, it, it's, it, it's always a pleasure to hear you talk about these things because they're so true. This whole idea that, hey, as I'm being my best self, it's like, growing to this place where now how does me being my best self positively impact others at the same time and you beautifully stated it through this ripple effect of how if you can help one person now that one person's going to go off and they're going to help all the people that they help and which is only going to cause just a better just effect on everyone around that person and i think that's how we make an impact that's felt all throughout and it's cool. I even saw um, the other day, I, for, uh, I forgot my man's name off the top of my head, um, but he was on Instagram, he was putting up a post of like the nine health people who have helped him the most in his journey. And then I saw he had Steve in that one of those boxes right there. And I'm just like, man, it is such a beautiful thing to see Steve and, and everyone else like you and I who are out there making an impact because now he's going out there. And now he's making an impact on other people. And, you know, sometimes we don't get the recognition of how much we're helping others. But I'm here to definitely tell you, Steve, like you're making a huge impact on people. It's felt you're extremely loved. And I know that that happens because of everything that you pour into yourself and everybody else. So I appreciate you for that. For that.
Yeah, thank you, man. And the feeling is so mutual. There's a reason why I, I, I always love connecting with you. And I know we connect outside of the podcast and stuff. It's just, you know, like attracts like. And I think life supports you with putting the right kind of people on your path. And everything that you're doing over here and the way you spread such a positive message and the way you're willing to just be honest and vulnerable and sure. And again, your level of consistency, your level of professionalism is inspiring to me and that means that we just raise each other up you know and then those ripple effects are massive and there's always this image in my head it's like a the globe is in the middle of this and it's just you can see hands and from the earth is these threads these strands multicolored threads and there's a bunch of different hands you know black and white and all of this stuff but it it points a picture that like we're, we're all kind of in this grand orchestra if you will and and if any one person is not playing their instrument the way in which they know how to play it. The music can't be as beautiful as it could be if everybody was holding the responsibility of like, this is my thread of life and let me play my instrument in the way that I can. And that doesn't mean being magnanimous and, you know, changing the world or having this. It just means generally being a good person and leaving things better than you found it. And regardless of where you're at in life, I think everybody can do that. And we just all have our ways in doing that, right? This is how you're doing it. This is how I'm doing it. And it's beautiful because you play the guitar and I play the flute and she plays the bass and he plays the drum and that guy plays the mouth harp and on and on we go. We just play our music. It's what we do. I love that. I love that. And for everyone listening, take pride in your thread. Take pride in your thread. Own your thread. Go out there. Live life that the best that you can. And I think what's going to make such a difference in this world is when each and every individual has some compassion for themselves and for others and understanding like, hey, the majority of us are doing our best. And if we can just continue to be in that place of doing our best, learning the lessons as they go and not intentionally doing harm we're all going to be in a good place good place yeah i I agree man i think that's the only way we change anything you know it's it's a grassroots movement we can't sit back and wait for you know big daddy government or big mommy farmer to save us with some new policies it's like we're here we're, we're powerful we're people we only play our part so let's all play our part and i think enough ripples there's a certain point where there's a tipping point and and it changes everything and maybe that's hopelessly optimistic, but I know it's better to be an optimist than a pessimist and, and to think that the world is doomed and we're beyond saving and all of that stuff. Because I don't believe that for a minute. I think we're incredibly smart and incredibly kind at our core and that we just need to kind of remember who we were and what we've forgotten. And I think this is part of the way we do that, you know, honest conversations, sharing curiosity about our self-development, what are our values, how can we, you know, question norms and, and, and fight for our right to be happy. And, and that's, that's what we do. And that's hopefully what we've been able to do a little bit today with this conversation. Absolutely. Aho, great spirit. That was wonderfully stated. And Steve, always a pleasure to get with you, my brother. You're just getting more better looking. The beard's getting longer. The hair's getting longer. I mean, bro, I, I can't wait till you come out with the ebook. Look like Steve. <laughs> hey, hey, man. And then for everyone listening, where can they find you online and just learn more about what about you're up to? What you're up to? Absolutely. Instagram is probably the best spot to go because all the links will stem from there. It's at Peak Primal Health. You'll see me showing up on on the daily, just posting some hopeful content. And uh, yeah, now in the podcast space, check out Radical Health Radio, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all of that fun stuff. 
And uh, I hope to see the. I always like to say if I ever do a podcast, I'd love it if you did listen to this, to slide in into those DMs, say hello, and let me know what your biggest takeaway was, because I genuinely get a kick out of hearing that. So please do that. Please listen to that call to action and use it. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and sell you shit or anything like that. I just want to hear, yeah. if you like this conversation, what was your biggest takeaway? Because it's really validating for me to hear so I can you know, just give more and double down on that stuff because I'm just, I'm, I'm staying curious. I'm trying to learn. So it's cool to hear when people find it um, interesting too. A hundred percent. People, let Steve know how they, how he's helped, how I've helped and just anything that we can do to just help make this space in this world a better place. And to like Steve said, to leave it better than we found it. All right, Steve, I appreciate you, my brother. Until next time.